Hebrews chapter 12. I've entitled this message, Bitter or Better? Bitter or Better? And I will tell you that this chapter, and Floyd, you made mention of this, is it's absolutely chocked full. There is so much that we can discuss and so much that we will discuss at the end of this exhortation. But there was one verse, two verses in particular, that really jumped off the page that I want to begin with here in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start off in verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which, which speaks to you as sons, my son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing this and quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. As the, as the author constantly does, he takes these believers... Jewish believers who have decided to follow Jesus, he takes them back to the Old Testament to make his case for why they should not fall away. And when he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as sons, he doesn't say he doesn't want them to forget or in hopes that you don't forget. He says, you've forgotten. And then he says, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, as we wrote. I think the chastening of the Lord that's mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 12, we all understand it. I think that if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've heard sermon after sermon about it, and I don't want to beleaguer it, but I do feel compelled to clear something up at the very beginning so that we're all on the same page, regardless of what our background is. The chastening of the Lord is not equal to the punishment of God. Okay? As Christians, I think if we're, if we're true to ourselves, if we're being honest with ourselves and with others, there will be times that we come under a chastening of God and we will feel like God is punishing us for something that we have done. True story. I, even though we know the scripture, it doesn't change the reality that when God chastens me, sometimes I feel like he's telling me I've been a bad boy and he's bringing correction as a form of punishment for what I've done. So what I want to say is from Charles Spurgeon, he had a sermon back in 1855 that I found today on the computer. And what he says regarding this was so impactful to me, I wanted to share with it. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, God's people can never, by any possibility, be punished for their sins. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ is our substitute and has endured the full penalty for their guilt. And I'm going to include in this both before, now, and in the future. And neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has already paid. Punishment can never happen to a child of God in the judicial sense. He can never be brought before God as his judge, as charged with guilt, because that guilt was long ago transferred to the shoulders of Christ. In other words, when we do stupid things, and we do and we will, 
If you haven't before, don't worry, there's time. God is not punishing you for what you have done as if someone has found you guilty. Your guilt, all of the sins that you have committed, are committing, and will commit as a child of Christ have already been paid for. Okay? <clears throat> when I read that, I was so encouraged because it's very easy for me to come down on myself harder than God is all the time. Um, but my question then was, if I'm not being punished, why does it feel like I'm being punished? True story. T. Austin Sparks addressed this in his devotional open windows. If you don't have it, it's a free copy. You can go online, get it, um, or you can find it online. But T. Austin Sparks is another father of the faith, faith, one of my mentors. And he said regarding this thing, what is the purpose of sonship? And I'm going to say regarding this thing of chastisement. It is to bring us into a place of spiritual responsibility. God never puts responsibilities upon what he called official people, but he puts those responsibilities upon his sons. Therefore, he has to train us as children in order to develop sonship in us, to bring us there where we can take responsibilities for God. He seeks to bring us to a state of spiritual maturity to full growth. That is the purpose, according to T. Austin Spark, of our chastisement. And I looked up the word chastening, and it only has um, a reference to discipline and training up a child. Okay, so whenever we see chastening or we see discipline in these sentences and those to come, it has to do with God raising up his children. Okay, and sometimes God chastens us because we're rebellious and we've been bad boys and girls. He chastens us because he knows the path that we're on is far, far worse than the correction, any correction that he can bring to us. And he doesn't want to see us go down that path, so he brings correction and discipline to us. Sometimes he chastens us just because he knows that we have far more potential than what we're living up to. And he brings a correction to our life to put us aright again. In, in any of us that have children, you look at your kids, especially in the early adult phase, and they're going in directions you may not have chosen for them. And you want to bring a correction to them, bring them a word, bring them something that will get them moving in the right direction. That's what God does sometimes to us. If we get stagnant, we do nothing. God gives us a little encouragement in the form of discipline to get us moving in the right direction. The first church, the early church, was broken apart because they got too comfortable growing and hanging out in the Boys and Girls Club. And God said, we're going to have to bring some persecution to you to get you out to where I sent you. Okay? God chastens his people, sometimes because they're rebellious, and sometimes to get them moving in the right direction when they've been stagnant. In either case, as Sparks explains... He brings discipline upon us to help each of us reach or move in the direction of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Spurgeon, on that article I told you about, he goes on to say this, while chastening may feel a lot like punishment, and the two really are tied together, there is a very real distinction 
and that is in the mind of the one bringing the punishment and the relationship between the punisher and the one being punished. Chastening is a love thing. It's not the wrath of God thing. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Story time. Has anybody been in a public place, whether it be a park or a grocery store, and you had a rebellious child acting a fool, and the the adult in the room, who we all will assume is the parent, does nothing. And nevertheless, you want to bring a correction to that child. According to Proverbs 13.24, you love that child more than its parent does. Because we know where that child is going. And it's not because we're annoyed that the child is screaming at the top of his or her lungs. We know where that child is going. And we want to bring a correction more than the parents do. According to Proverbs 13.24, we love the kid more than the, than the parent does. Okay? So God chastens us as sons and as daughters because he loves us. He doesn't beat his children. Anyone here ever felt, felt the correction of God and thought that he was beating you up? Okay, I stand alone. <laughs> he doesn't beat his kids. He, disciples, he disciplines his children. God punishes men in wrath, but the rod of correction is brought in love. And just as here in Hebrews 12, verse 11 says, no discipline is pleasant at the time. Nobody ever finds a line of kids being disciplined and goes and stands in that line. I want to do what they're doing. Okay, Tom Sawyer painting his fence. It's not pleasant, but it's for our benefit. Nevertheless, God brings his correction to our lives to get us back on the path to maturity. If he did nothing when we need correction, then like that parent in the grocery store, we would continue down the wrong path and remain in rebellion, and it would ultimately hurt us and others more than whatever correction God could bring to our lives, okay? I want to discuss this. I, I want to set that behind us right now, and I want to go forward to what I saw here in verse 5, as I think is a very, very important thing. Two things that we have to look out for when God brings correction to our lives, okay? Verse 5 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 3.20 says that God has adopted us to his, into his family. Look it up. Ephesians 3.20, we're adopted as sons, okay, and daughters. But verse 7 of this chapter says that if we endure chastening, then he deals with us as sons. Verse 5 says not to despise chastening and not to be discouraged when it comes. So because we're his children adopted into the fold when we came into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He does love us. We are his children, and we have to expect that he can and he will bring correction to our life. If it hasn't happened, again, hang on, because it's going to. The longer you walk with him, the more you'll realize correction is coming if it isn't already upon you. So, when, is, is there anybody here that has not expected or has experienced the correction of God yet? Good. No hands. So let me ask you this. 
When God has brought a correction to you, do you grumble and complain because of your hardship? Oh, woe is me. My life is so hard. Look what I'm going through. Okay, sometimes good. Honesty is a very important thing. You're not alone. Do we feel like God is treating us unfairly or harshly? Well, she did something bad too. Why is God coming down on me? It's not fair. Okay. Do we run toward God seeking the reason for our correction or do we kick against the goads and run away from him? Guys, if these negative effects are something, ways that you have reacted when you come under correction, you're despising the discipline. You're despising what God is bringing into your life as a correction. And when you despise that, you're despising the one that's bringing the correction. When you despise God's discipline, it is a prideful rebellion. It means you think that you're better than God. You know what's better for you than what God knows for you. Okay. When verse 5 says to despise, not to despise the chastening, this is despising the chastening. Okay. I have four kids. Surprise. They're all strong-willed killed kids, but I have one in particular that's very strong-willed. Okay, my baby girl, my, my little Ashley. <laughs> when she was just a wee little girl, she couldn't have been two years old, I don't think. One night she stands on top of a coffee table, and I tell her, Ashley, get off the table. No! Now, Ashley's a very strong-willed child. She refused to get down off that table. And even under a threat of and the eventual execution of the rod of correction, she still would not get off the table. Even when she was being spanked, I would give a little spank and give her another opportunity. Give her a little bit more spanking, another opportunity. She wouldn't move. She wouldn't budge. Ashley, as Yoda would say, uh, there was there was the rebellion that lived strong in this girl. Okay, um, but because I knew her rebellious spirit would eventually lead her down the road to destruction, I kept bringing correction until eventually, and by eventually it was a long while. Mama was like, "I think we should stop," and I said, "If we don't keep going now." And it will not break that strong will of hers. Eventually, she did give up, and she got down. My daughter despised the correction. She kicked against the goads. Because I love her, I wouldn't relent. Do you kick against the goad when God brings correction? Do you set your feet in even more firm? Do you say, I'm going to keep going in this thing? I know I'm right. Do not despise God's correction. Verse 5. It's an evil pit that once you start going down, you can't get out of as quickly or as easy as he's hoping that you will. Remember, he's bringing the correction because he loves you. The other danger, the other evil that's spoken of in verse 5 is getting discouraged when God brings correction to your life. Here's another one. You have... Um, despising and you have discouragement what is discouragement what does it look like in the king james version it says don't grow faint 
when he brings a rebuke. What does that look like? I'm going to use another friend of mine as an illustration. Um, and maybe some of you can connect with this as well. This buddy of mine, he was a co-worker. I, I, I worked with him in the natural, but he was also a co-worker in, in, uh, in the things of the Spirit. Great brother, great believer, strong. He was one of these, uh, you mentioned mountain man earlier. He was like a mountain man from West Virginia kind of mountain man. He was strong in character. He was one that would persevere. When God told him to do something, he would not relent. He would stay on that thing. He would not give up. But one day he told me about a sin that was in his life. And he, he took the, 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 the verse that says we need to confess our sins one to another. And he sat me down. He says, Don, this is going on in my life and I want to share it to you. So he shared. I prayed with him and off we go. But it wasn't too much longer after that that God began to bring a correction into his life. And it wasn't very long before he buckled under the weight of it. Okay. He stopped coming to church. He stopped doing good works. He stopped pursuing God. And it was very obvious that the joy of God that once was there had vanished from his life. He gave up. He fainted. And he um, said that the pressure of God was just too much for him, so it's easier for him just to give up. And at one point in time, he even told me that he questioned whether or not he was even saved. God brings a correction, and he fainted. And here in verse 5, God says, don't faint. Remember, God brings a correction because he loves you. He wants the very best for you. Okay? How many of us have been in one of those two situations? Floyd, I know I have countless times. I was When, when you were praying for us, I heard Tiny Tim's song in my head tiptoe through the tul tulips. And I saw between me this beautiful tulip-laden path fruitful, beautiful path that God has laid before us. And there's a tarpet over here called discouragement. And there's another tarpet over here called being faint. God doesn't expect us to eagerly embrace correction, but it's for our good. Don't fall to the left or to the right. The reason that God warns us in verse 5 not to fall into either of those pits is because we can control our reaction to his correction. Um, if you have ever despised God's correction, if you've ever grown faint when God brings a correction, stop it. You have to remember this first. You have to remember he's correcting you as a child because he loves you. He wants the very best for you. If Verse 8 says, if, you, if he didn't bring a correction, then you're an illegitimate child. New King James says, a bastard. You're an illegitimate child. I don't know about you, but I put way too many eggs in the basket of God being my Abba Father to think that he would turn on me and, and consider me to be an illegitimate child. The secret, here's, I'm going to give you a secret. Ready? There is a secret to getting through the correction of God when he brings a discipline, when he brings a correction. It's not to give up and not to run away from him but to turn head on and run right into his arms. My daughter, when I was bringing that correction, could have ended it quickly by running into my arms. There was a hug at the end of it, don't get me wrong. But it didn't have to go on as long as it did. God brings a correction because it's needed, or we need to get moving in a particular direction. 
How long that correction lasts is completely up to us. 100% of the time. We have to remember... I've said this before. I love the song, Good, Good Father. We have to remember that God is a good, good Father. In every situation, every day, all the time. And if correction is brought into our life, it doesn't mean that he stopped being a good, good father. It accentuates it. Okay? Verse 12 says, when we come under the correction of God, verse 12 says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Does that draw a mental picture for you of what it looks like when we come under Conviction of the Lord when we come under condemnation, not condemnation, when we come under a correction and a discipline of the Lord. And sometimes it just beats us up and our knees are wobbly and our hands are, our posture is down. Verse 12 says, strengthen it up, stand up, be strong. Okay. Don't mope around. Don't be singing the woe is me song as is common for us to do. Don't give up. There is no doubt in my mind that if you're under correction, it is for your absolute best. Verse 15 warns us about falling short of the grace of God and letting bitterness spring up in our lives. When God brings a correction, do we get bitter? Don't despise the correction. Don't faint under the weight of it. God is a loving Father, and He is our greatest cheerleader. He loves you. And you have the ability to choose how you react to his, his correction, okay? You can be bitter, or you can be better. And as I tell my kids in closing, whenever my kids would walk out of the house, grab the keys to their cars, and go out of the house, I always used to tell them, and I'll tell you now, when you're under the situation, make good choices. In Jesus' name, amen.